Let's take it to the edge. Let's get deflected. Let's talk about the night perspective. Let's get sharp. Let's get a little real. Hey guys, I'm Dan Eastland with Dogwood Custom Knives, and I'm here with Kyle Daly of Cage Daily Knives. And this is episode number 026, the TNA episode, Ask Us Anything. Oh, and by the way, this is the Knife Perspective. How you doing tonight, Kyle? Pretty good. I've got some, uh, some bourbon and Diet Pepsi. I've got the uh, Knob Creek Smoked Maple today, and uh, that's pretty tasty in the... Uh, in with some some diet pepsi how are you doing what do you got what are you drinking tonight you know i'm, I'm sticking with the old standby a little belvedere on the rocks nice show it Very alone cool. and throw it in the drawer the line not the yeah. uh, not the belvedere by god <laughs> how how are you doing with the quarantine you know i am somewhere between it's been really actually pretty good for us and uh, it hasn't changed much. Um, yeah, the, the financial hit has really is is going to suck for a while. But Beth and I were talking. This is the most time she has spent at home continuously in seventeen years. Yeah, uh, because of all the travel she usually does. So yeah, I work by myself in a deserted industrial complex. So I go to work every morning like I always have, and. It's. I know it's messed up because this is a horrible time and, and people are having a lot to deal with. But it has been great to come home every day to, to my wife and kids because we just haven't done that in a long time. Yeah. The boys have been great. I really – I expected them to be full savage, broken bottles at each other's throats by now. And they have been really patient with each other. Uh, they've really helped out. It's it's been great to see how the families come together with a little adversity. I just I genuinely hate that it took adversity for us to to get to this place. Yeah, looks like on Instagram you had a had a pretty nice dinner tonight. Uh, we did. Um, Alex, my youngest, um, has started showing an interest in cooking, so we've been doing. Uh, We've been doing knife skills and cooking lessons on uh, on Wednesday nights. Very cool. And yeah, he. Uh, I mean, I was in the kitchen giving him a a little nudge here or there, but he did uh, steaks with twice baked potatoes and uh, baked asparagus uh, for dinner tonight, and he knocked it out of the park. Very cool. I can't wait till I get to sit back and uh, have my boys make some of that stuff. You know, it's it's hell getting them there, but once they're there, it's really nice. <laughs> and then they leave the house, huh? Yeah, I mean, it totally <laughs> makes up for not strangling them all those times that I was kind of tempted. Yeah, yeah, well, not entirely, but close. Yeah, when when our boys were uh, they were about six months old, I I told people I used to not understand why people would shake their kids to death. Now I understand. <laughs> no, we um. 
just before the quarantine stuff hit, we were, we had walked over to our friend's house and had had one too many glasses of wine. And I can't tell you how amazing it was to just call the house and tell my kid, he's got to come get me. (laughs) At first I felt like this is really horrible parenting. I was a little embarrassed. And then I realized, first of all, I'm setting, I'm setting the responsible example. I'm saying, Hey, look, when you hit your limit, don't be stupid. Mm-hmm. And it was awesome. I could I could make him come do things for me that I had to do for him for the last sixteen years, <laughs> and still are doing. Yeah. <laughs> nice. No, he drives. Uh, he drives my old construction truck. Um, so not only do I not have to take him places anymore, but now he can. Now he has to take his brother places. Yep. Very cool. He's been campaigning hard for something smaller than a uh, an F one fifty to drive around town. So you could do a lot worse than an F one fifty. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I think it's a two thousand eight that I used to use when I was doing construction. So it's uh, it, it doesn't have low profile tires or nice rims or any of that. Well, that's perfect for our first car. Man, it's great and. I joke around, but it's true. If you can par- if you can parallel park that, you can park anything. <laughs> nice. So uh, yeah. we're 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 in the middle of something. Yeah, we're still still on lockdown up here in Illinois, and uh, uh, our boys are they were doing pretty good with it the first couple weeks, and um, they uh, they don't really understand why we haven't seen any of our family or really gone anywhere or not gone in the car, and uh, since I'm going to work pretty much every day um they don't really understand why dad gets to go and they don't get to go see their friends at school or daycare and stuff so uh it's been been a little rough my wife's a teacher so she's been able to stay home with them so um she's doing the e e e-learning thing which is uh very difficult for everybody involved oh yeah man i do not envy y'all at at their age i mean mine are might have got their issues, but they're fairly independent. Not just the amount of, of constant maintenance that they take. Mm-hmm. But I can explain things to mine. Yeah. And to your point, trying to explain that, first of all, daddy's not going to play with his friends. Daddy's going to work. He would rather stay home, I promise. Mm-hmm. Um, but then trying to explain concepts to them about why you're going to work, but they can't see their friends. I Yeah. I, I, I really, I really feel for you. Yeah. Well, and it's not just me going to work. It's, uh, Courtney's not going to school. <laughs> she's doing a lot. She's doing the e-learning stuff, but she, she's not leaving and going, uh, like she used to. So as a stay at home dad, I can tell you, she's absolutely working her ass off. Yeah. She's doing the e-learning, keeping those two from tearing the house apart. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you couldn't pay me to do what she's doing right now. Yeah. And she's uh, doing all the school stuff with them, with preschool and stuff like that, too. So, um, yeah. Why? Yeah. I'll, why I'm leaving the house and why she's not leaving the house because she works also. So <laughs> you're leaving the house for the same reason I am <laughs> a little piece of freaking quiet. <laughs> yeah. So um, that's that's got autoimmune issues and asthma. So she's been seriously like, I have to decon if I go into public and you know, she, she's really had to be careful. Mm -hmm. So 
she she has not left the house in six or eight weeks. I mean, wow. I, I, I do the grocery shopping and all that. And I, I'm not going to lie. It's kind of nice. Like sometimes I swing by the grocery store, even if I don't need anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just to walk the wrong way down the aisles without wearing a mask for a few minutes, kind of relax, put some stress on other people and then get in the car and come on home. Yeah. Uh that whole uh, arrow thing has been uh, a pretty recent development. Um, I was at the grocery store. I think the last time we went was like two weeks ago and uh, there weren't any arrows or anything on the, the aisles. And uh, apparently that's a thing now. Yeah. Well, because germs only spread if you pass each other parallel, hmm. um, you pass each other he- coming head on. Uh, that's when the germs will pass. If you, if you swing out somebody like you're you're passing on the highway, then you you can't cross contaminate that way. Uh, uh, there's, there's a Facebook post about it. Really? Well, if it, if, oh, if yeah. it's on Facebook, it's got to be true. Oh yeah. Well, you're not allowed to put anything on the internet unless it's true. Yeah. Just like our podcast. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> speaking of our podcast, we got the uh, the sponsors: Cage Daily Knives and Dogwood Custom Knives. And you can find Cage Daily Knives and Dogwood Custom Knives at Old Town Cutlery, Knife Center, and the Knife House. So uh, check those places out if you're looking for a knife, as well as our websites too. Um, so for shout outs um, and gear talk. I guess there's not too much gear talk, mainly just shout outs. But uh, if you aren't following Flying Shark Knives, it's Kyle Nelson on Instagram Uh, Flying Shark Knives. He does a lot of scales. He does really cool uh, glue ups, lots of bolsters, uh, really unique materials, putting them all together, does some mammoth tooth liners and different things. But uh, he was wanting to try to figure out a way to help small business. So he uh, decided to do a giveaway and um, all you had to do was kind of prove that you got some takeout food. And uh, so I posted up a couple of times on my, my feed to um, helping out my local businesses. I wasn't doing it just because of the, the giveaway. We were still trying to trying to help out our, our local economy. And uh there was 108 meals that he said were bought during the the two weeks that he did the contest, which was awesome. Getting to getting a little more money into the local people where it needs to go. But uh, I actually won a uh, small EDC knife called the Goat Razor. Uh, Neil Warren of Maximus Blades made it. Uh, it's got like a green diamond wood uh, front and uh, a blue glow spacer and then some uh kind of shredded carbon fiber back piece and uh like a copper lanyard hole so it looks pretty cool it's uh really really sharp he calls it the goat razor it's a sheep's foot style blade this one's a little bit shorter he said than what he normally makes that pattern it's a 2.75 inches long uh but super cool definitely check him out maximus maximus knives on instagram I like a, I really like a sheep's foot tip for small utility knives. Mm-hmm. I like it because you can get the leverage right there at the tip when you're doing, you know, when you're doing long cuts uh, and it's just easy for me to work. Yeah. And on a shorter blade that, that blunted tip is, is just more utilitarian for me. When you go to a little longer blade, a fine tip is nice for doing some carving tasks, but 
for general utility, I, I really like that that point. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty cool little knife that I'll uh keep around for quite a while. And um, you'll put pictures up with it, won't you? Yeah, I need to take some pictures. I just got it yesterday. So yesterday, that's that's been like what, eighteen hours and you don't have stuff on Instagram? Let's go, man. Yeah. Yeah, hey, I've been know? I've been bad at that lately. <laughs> I, I, I expect an unboxing, a before and after, maybe some artistic mirror shots. Yeah. Um sunset with a beer. Alrighty. <laughs> um and then for our next shout out, uh Daniel Messina, I think is how you say his last name, but uh Daniel underscore Messina on Instagram. Him and I have become fairly good friends from the uh the blade spectrum discord server they have a bunch of different knife makers and stuff there but he's a younger maker he won the knifedogs.com members choice awards for best new builder so congratulations for that and it's a really nice guy trying to do what he can does a bunch of forging and stuff uh, working hard hand sanding so keep keep working hard daniel you're uh you're doing good Remembering my motivation for hand sanding was to be able to afford to buy more grinder attachments so I didn't have to hand sand. Yeah. Well, he was hand sanding the blades. So oh, I still do that. Yeah. Um, I, I like for the scratches to be parallel to the, the cutting edge instead of perpendicular. Mm. And it adds a little work, but I just like the way it looks. Uh, I like the way it looks sometimes, but I also like it. Uh, the A good belt finish. I kind of like that, too. But well, from a business standpoint, it's it's stupid on my part. I'm adding an extra hour and a half of labor that I don't get paid for. But I just like the way it looks. Yeah. Well, if you decide to uh, hand sand some more, I have uh, got some uh, stones that have worked out really good for me. Some of those videos you did. Yeah. Uh, I'm in. That's not a direction I've ever really thought about, but it seemed to be really working for you. Yeah. The 220 grit stone really took a whole bunch of the, um, I like a nice smooth transition up there to the handle from the the bevel and really cleaned that up quick. And uh, when I did my first S grind ever, uh, they helped to get in the the curve a little bit. And then um, Mm -hmm. between the the stones and one of my coworkers that... uh, we made a 36 inch radius sanding stick to match my uh, radius platen, uh, 3D printed them, and uh, that worked out really good to get in the the curve there. So that was a good idea. I keep forgetting about all the stuff that you can 3D print these days. Well, if you're uh, if you're interested in some of that, we uh, we may be uh, bringing some of those to market. So uh, let me know. I just might. Do. And then uh, our last uh, shout out is uh, Atlas Materials uh, on Instagram. They're Atlas Materials. They did a, they've been doing a ton of giveaways and stimulus stuff uh, for makers and stuff. And a few weeks ago, uh, they asked uh, for someone to nominate someone that could use a win. And uh, our co co-host here, Dan, he's uh, had a run of bad luck with uh, the bicep and everything. So, I put him in that uh, he could use a uh, use a little uh, upper, and he won some uh, military marshland Juma, some Coyote G10 rod, and some pewter G10 liners. So I was pretty happy to see him win something, and I greatly appreciate it. 
Um, Atlas materials, I've used them for a while. Um, what I love that they're doing right now is the colored G10 rods. Because mm-hmm. you know, I got sick of G10 black or white. Those were your options. And as far as I know, they're the first people that started doing the colored rods. Yep. And it's a great little pop of color, a little touch of contrast. Yeah. Um, and that Juma is cool stuff. I've done some, uh, I think they call it snake scale, but... With Game of Thrones being what it was, I was doing a bunch and calling it Dragon Scale, and really, it really comes out beautifully. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one of the things that you never quite know what it's going to look like until it's fully sanded. It's really cool. It's stunning. And I've got to double check. Um, I am 99% certain the last time I talked to their rep, they said that their artificial ivory was was certified kitchen safe. Okay. Um which has been great. It worked really easily and it's got that old school look to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, cause I was doing for, uh, for chef Craig, his cleaver, I did, uh, brass and the, the faux ivory that they do. Okay. And it really gave it that, that really old school look, but it's still completely hygienic. Yeah. That stuff's cool. I've got a few pieces of it that I've yet to use, but, um, one day I'll get around to making a knife out of it. It works really nicely. Is it pretty much the same as like G10 or is it more kind of like a, a resin? Um, it's It works softer than G10. As far as G10, like it doesn't chip out. It doesn't, it doesn't, uh, you don't get tear outs. It doesn't gouge, but it's a little softer than G10. Okay. Um, pretty much like where I would shape G10 with maybe a, a 50 grit belt. I'd shape this with an 80 grit belt. Okay. Um, Cause it'll, it, it just comes away a little quicker, but it's, it's been really nice to work with. Um, cool. It's, it's stable, but a little more, a little more giving than, uh, than my Carta or G10. Nice. I'm excited, even more excited. They posted a picture of uh, that with an actual piece of ivory and I, I got it wrong. So I didn't get a chance to win a free piece. <laughs> <laughs> guess the wrong piece that would that I thought was the fake ivory. So yeah, I'm a fan. I've, I've fully drank Kool-Aid. Nice. So uh, for our main main topics now, we uh, we ask of a bunch of people on Instagram and around to give us questions uh, for the show. So we're doing a Q and A. Uh, so the first question we gave up for is from Jason Hartwell, uh, JK Blades on Instagram. He wants to know how did uh, you and I get together to start the podcast and a lot of a lot of his the uh, good podcasts he listens to have great on-air chemistry and he said he was wondering how we got got it all started. Well, first of all, I got to say I'm a little uncomfortable with the term get together. <laughs> okay. Um from my perspective, I I used to do the the E2E podcast. And I had really enjoyed that. That was a great outlet. Um, and when we quit doing that, I wanted to try to do something else knife related, but I've got horrible technical skills. Um, so when I started asking around, uh, looking for some people to, to maybe co-host with me, you know, I, Kyle, I knew you from, from Andy and the Fiddleback family. Mm-hmm. Um, and it turns out that Kyle is really technically gifted <laughs> and understood things like recording and editing and, and pretty much all the stuff I'm incompetent at. 
Um, and it just worked out that we were, we were good acquaintances before this. Um, and I had some connections in the industry and you've got some phenomenal technical skills and kind of like peas and carrots. We've just been together ever since. Yeah. I think it's worked out really well. Uh, yeah, we first, first actually met each other in, uh, 2012 at the blade show, uh, down in Atlanta. And, uh, after that, uh, my wife and I uh, came by Andy's shop and you showed us around and we got to meet your boys for the first time. And uh, oh, I, I had brought them with me. Yeah. They were, uh, if you ever listened to the E2E podcast, uh, uh, Robbie and um, what's the other uh, Adam. Adam always said that they were so jealous of how, uh, how good Dan's kids always acted. And yeah, they were, yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Uh, really, really well behaved, and uh, well, we talked for an hour and a half, two hours out in the shop. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, and who else was up there with you? I can see his face clearly. Um, I'm really going to be embarrassed that I'm struggling. The man, um, yes, yeah. thank you. Yeah, Eric and Lauren, man. If you don't uh, yeah. don't follow uh, Eric, he's not too terribly uh big on instagram it's like uh i think it's eric m on instagram if anyone has a face for radio <laughs> he's not that bad or podcast is the case may be for us eric m 77 so give him a follow uh if you're listening to this uh blow his uh instagram up so he wonders what the heck happened why Ooh, he's yeah. at he's at 70 fo- 76 followers right now of the time of the recording so uh, if you're interested in in beer, uh, he's got lots of pictures of really cool beers and stuff that he drinks, and some pretty pretty dang cool fiddlebacks and stuff too. Follow him and tag him at Periwinkle, and then absolutely do not say anything else. Don't give him any feedback. Let's see how long it takes for him to figure out that we're messing with him. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, hopefully hopefully him and Lauren are able to to make the Blade Show this year too. So be uh so i guess be pretty cool i guess the short answer is we just kind of stumbled into this and it turns out that we work well together yeah because i can honestly say i could not do this without kyle thanks yeah it's uh been a lot of fun getting to getting to know a lot of people in the industry and learn about all sorts of different stuff all right enough of that touchy feeling crap um yeah blade show should i stay or should i go yeah, we got many, many, many questions on this, and uh, the uh, the big question that seems to be from most people are: Are we going to do Blade Show this year? Uh, I am, uh, partially being two and a half hours from the house. Uh, it's an it's inexpensive for me to get there, and my thinking is: even if it's only two thirds of the size it was last year, it'll still be one of the largest knife shows in the world. Uh, so financially. Well, so here's the other thing about Blade Show from my perspective. If you break even at Blade Show, especially being small makers like we are, if you break even, that's a home run. Because part of what you got to think about with Blade Show is the exposure, people seeing you, you seeing people, the connections that you meet. Um, I learn from guys. I get introductions to guys that I can then later reach out to for help. Um, people that would never have heard of me otherwise see me at Blade Show. 
So you get more out of it than just the financial side. That being said, I, I'm hoping I will break even this year. Um, thing, times are tight for a lot of people, myself included. Um, but I, I think that, I think that I can afford the risk and the benefits beyond just the money will be worth it. Um, I think it's a probably a little different situation for you because it is a, a significant investment for you to come down. Yeah, it's a yeah, like 12, 13 hour drive for me to to get there. But I think I'm going to try to try to be there. Um, kind of depends on what all happens in the next couple months. But um, so far, I'm I'm planning on being there. And luckily, I was kind of a little bit uh, worried. So every year they uh, you always try to do the the horse race to try to get a room at the renaissance waverly and uh ever since 2012 i have not been able to get a room at the winter renaissance waverly and finally got a room this year and uh lo and behold they canceled it (laughs) and then uh luckily they moved it over and uh i still have a have a room but i was uh was like go figure i finally get a room at the waverly and they canceled the whole show so uh that was pretty funny you know, that room at the Ravely, I'm always back and forth because it's twice as much as some other rooms I could get. But the convenience, the at night convenience isn't so much, isn't so bad. But the morning convenience of being a five minute walk from my, from my booth is, is huge. Or just even going back during the middle of the show if you need to get something or whatever. Yeah. Um, shoot, I'm lucky if I make it across the hole. Um, I, the blessing and the curse is I'm pretty much chained to that booth. Yeah, I am too. But, uh, I mean, if, if you, and if you need to do something with yeah. my hotel being a 20 minute drive or yeah. not 20 minutes, like 10 minute drive away, um, there's like absolutely no way you can. step out for a second or whatever if you forget something that it's not wow this is going to be inconvenient it's uh, i'm done for the day Mm -hmm. yeah i didn't that's a very good point yeah so uh, i think his name's jan criswell i would assume it's jan Uh, criswell blacksmithing on instagram uh that was our thoughts on blade show being canceled and uh Jim Morrissey, uh, Shamrock Knives, asks, are we going to get beers at the pit at Blade Show? And I... Yes, we are. Yeah. If I'm there, I'll have beers. I'll have my Yeti cooler, and um, there will be beers in it. So uh, not having to re- having to make my dad get up at 12.30, 1 o'clock in the morning to come pick me up from the lobby of uh, uh, the Waverly, it'll be, be a lot nicer for him. It's a gift for both of y'all, isn't it? I didn't even think about that. <laughs> Dad is one of the nicest human beings I know. <laughs> Not just because he comes and picks you up at one o'clock in the morning, but he is one of the happiest, nicest people I have ever met. Cool. I'll let him know you said that because they probably won't listen to the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe I'll make <laughs> him listen to this episode just so he hears the compliment about him. Yeah, I've mentioned to my parents several times that I I do a podcast, and they're like, "Well, what?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know, never mind. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, we should brainstorm something for the pit. Maybe uh, 
maybe Friday night, do a, a knife perspective uh, cooler or something. Okay. Well, I will have my cooler and it has knife perspective stickers on it, along with a whole bunch of other uh, people that I'm friends with stickers on it. So including a dogwood, dogwood knives and whole bunch of stickers and also if you have any have any uh stickers and uh stuff and uh you're at blade show uh stop by my table or find the find the cooler the cooler gets a little cold and it kind of like still sweats a little bit on the outside so you kind of have to wait till it's uh all dried off and warmed up before a sticker will stick to it ask me how i learned that (laughs) uh We, I need to do some sticker trades. I had to replace my grind room door, which is where I usually stick my stickers. So I, I need to start getting some stickers again. Okay. Well, if you need some cage daily knife ones, let me know. Uh, actually, I have a cage daily knife, and I have a knife perspective on the new door. Nice. As you should. Yeah. Casey Boatman, uh, a, or it's Y-A-S-E-C dot E-D-C, uh, Yasek, maybe? EDC, uh, he asks, why do you prefer the steels we do? Because they're the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll let you go first on this one. Um, so, yeah, I like 154 CM. It's uh, Bob Loveless said it's the finest knife steel uh, ever. So I go with that one. Yeah, uh, he, uh, he helped figure out that one. Uh, I like that it... Uh, it has really good uh, hardness, really good corrosion resistance. It's not crazy expensive, and uh, it for it hasn't. I haven't done any of the super duper steels, but it's not too crazy on abrasives and stuff. So I just think it gives you a good value. I use some of the Alabama Damascus for high carbon Damascus stuff. I think it looks beautiful. I love how you can etch it. Uh, I'd love to try to use some some Damasteel stuff. But I just can't. I haven't found anybody that wants to pay that much for uh, for me to buy the steel to begin with. It's hard when your blade starts stock stock starts at a couple of hundred bucks. Yeah, yeah. I think the to get like a two inch tall, eight inch chef's knife is going to be is like close to three hundred bucks just for the steel. So um, when that's usually uh, kind of close to the base price of what i charge for a finished knife that's a little hard for a lot of people to swallow and i like uh i like cpm 154 because it's 154 cm taken to 11 <laughs> it's got some it's got some of the advantages of being a particle steel it also has the disadvantage of it it eats through belts it's it requires some more production time but i like the performance i really like s35vn uh, I like to work with thinner blade stock, and for the purpose of this conversation, we're going to define toughness as its ability to bend and return to its original shape. And I like the I like how tough S thirty five VN is. I can make some very thin blades that'll bend but not break. Yeah. Um, it's also got really phenomenal edge holding. For carbon steels, I like O one. Um, Partially because it's really forgiving, forgiving in the heat treat, and it'll take a, a really hard. You know, it, it's it's very easy to get a fifty nine sixty Rockwell with O one, and it's a workable edge. Mm. Um, I have I've done a little bit of Dama- of Alabama Damascus, and I like them. Um, I use some I'll use a fair amount of Nichols Damascus, mostly because his booth was across from mine when I first started. 
and he was really good to me. Spent a lot of time working with me as far as, as dialing in the heat treats on his steels, and he's been really great to work with. Hmm. Um, so I I tend to use him more. Cool. When I did the uh, when I did the Damas Damas and um, what was it? Uh, oh, my brain's not working. This is going to be a really long pause that you're going to have to edit out. Um, I'll just leave it in. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Uh, Ebony, I did uh, the first knives that were ever in a, a magazine that I did was a set of steak knives in Damas and Ebony, and I got those from Nichols. Hmm. Also, he does really thin stock for me, like one sixteenth, which I like to work in. Okay, um, it's about time to start looking at some of the the really high performance alloys, which I'm just back and forth on. The production cost on those things are so high, mm-hmm. and yeah. Theoretically, I know that it is a higher performance in the steel that I'm working in, but the steel I'm working in is so far beyond what I really, what most, most end users need that I've really, uh, S35VN and CPM 154, I have really been happy with. It's phenomenal performance and it's still workable. I mean, some of the new ultra stainless, man, at the rate S35VN eats up belts, I do not even want to know what that kind of stuff is going to cost me. Yeah, for sure. For the end user, it's does it polish? Is it, uh, is it stain resist or corrosion resistant? Does it hold an edge? Um, from my side, you know, every belt that I go through when I'm when I'm working it, that's a ten dollar belt. Mm-hmm. If it takes me an extra thirty minutes or an hour. On each step, that could be eight extra hours that I've got into this knife. And that money's got to come from somewhere. So some of the some of the really high-end stuff, it's just not economically feasible. Yeah, unless the customer specifically asks for it. And then they Oh, if they're willing to pay for it, I am more than happy to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh it's just hard to do spec knives that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. Uh all right. So I think that was uh hopefully you got yes. your uh, your answer there, Casey. Um, Mark Phelps. <laughs> Mark Phelps. Uh, so so S O W E G A Woodworks asks, uh, when will we start making folders? Well, let's. I'll have you go first. All right. Uh, I have been touring with a couple of folder patterns. Um. The two, the two things that I'm working through is it's more moving parts, so there's more things that have got to be precise. And to make each of those parts by hand is really expensive right now. At the rate I can make a folder, I'm just pricing myself out of, of, of the market. Mm. Um, and I don't have a pattern I'm so in love with that I'm going to do a 200-piece production run on. Um, so soon-ish. Uh, I've also got there's some geometry and there's some interaction between the parts that I'm 90% there on, but I really got to get that last little bit. So everything fits just the way I want it. Uh, and R and D that when, when I got a back order is hard. Yeah. Well, coming soon, usually in knife making terms means uh, a long while. <laughs> yeah. Coming soon is three to five years, just so we're clear on that. <laughs> so for me, uh, 
when we had Greg uh, Hansen on of GL Hansen and Sons, he told us about Bird Viz Knives. Uh, I forget what his actual name is at the moment. Sorry about that. Uh, but uh, yeah, he uh, I saw a bunch of his uh, Zulu patterns and stuff, and uh, I really like that. And I think I might try to do a uh, a slip joint. I got about three quarters of the way through uh, making a titanium frame lock one time with the the thanks of Matt Christensen of uh, CK Bladeworks, I believe is uh, Instagram. Uh, or it might be knife works. I, I forget, but, uh, definitely CK and, um, yeah, uh, never got it finished. Uh, we ended up having twin boys and never made it back down to his shop to, to finish it with him. Wow. Twins interfered with your, your, your spare time, huh? Yeah. So, uh, I'm wanting to try to do some slip joints, uh, between the, the two slip joints that I have from a friend of the podcast, Todd Hunt. Um, I've got one of his 32s and one of his 22s and, uh, I really, uh, I've kind of got the, the bug to try to do a slip joint after, after the blade show. So I, I have actually been saving my beer money to, uh, to go up to Todd and, and spend a couple of days learning, learning slip joints from him. Cause I, I got a soft spot in my heart for slip joints. Mm-hmm. The first knife I had was a slip joint. I just. There's something elegant about it. Yeah. So I really like that uh, that Zulu pattern. And one of the nice things about slip joints is uh, it seems like pretty much everybody in that entire industry uh, is super willing to just share the patterns. And uh, they're all they're all traditional patterns that have been made for many years. So nobody uh, really cares if you kind of just work off of something that's a little more proven. It it does kind of have the feel of the old school knife maker community where it was, yeah, sure. Come to my shop, kid. I'll show you how to do it. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool. Uh, got any, got any more on that? No, no, that that's about it. I got a bunch of stuff to tell you off air that I've been playing around with, but yeah, you know, under promise over deliver. All righty. Uh, David Burke, OLC underscore knives on Instagram asks, uh, what knives or weapons would you try to make as a one-off just to see if you could do it? So a while back, I meant to order three thirty seconds, and instead I ordered three sixteenths of, uh, CPM 154. Hmm. And I have always gotten a really deep oven, you know, something in the 27-inch depth, just in case. <sighs> you know, I, I, I can't fight it. I've tried for years. It's going to happen. I'm making a Gladius. I'm not just making a Gladius. I'm making a particle steel. I'm making a particle steel Gladius with a royal blue and black handle. So you just, you just accidentally ordered that in 316, so. Huh? Yeah, it was. A, I can honestly <laughs> say it was a total accident, and I started to send it back. I'm like, "Well, no, I did." They sent me exactly what I ordered, and I was looking at it, and I'm like, "You know, the width and the length is just right." Because I've always wanted to make a Gladius. Mm-hmm. I just, I can't justify it. It's just something I've always wanted to make. Okay. Um. So rather than send it back, I um, I just may have not told anybody and stuck it over in the corner of the shop and. Every so often I look over there and it mocks me. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. 
that's one of the one of the curses, like shiny new steel and new design, new blade design, and you're like, uh, got got a couple that I I need to finish, and then I I get started trying something else. I, I've got new two new patterns that I have made the pattern. It is sitting on the bench, and I'm like, all right, if I clear two more batches of back order, I can make this knife. And I just I haven't gotten there yet. Yeah. So I, I was I've been thinking about this one for uh, for quite a while. One of the knives that I've always been interested when uh, seeing one that actually Todd Hunt made the the Chris uh, dagger. Yeah. Um, oh. I've I've always thought one of those would be super cool. Uh, looks incredibly challenging to try to grind, but uh, I haven't made a big chopper yet. So that's uh, one of the one of the things that I've been been wanting to to make also. Dylan Fletcher gave me a great tutorial on recurve grinds, which is a Chris is arguably a series of recurves. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those ones that was impossible until he showed me how about the, the angles you take on the grinder and making your curves such that they'll fit the two inch grinder. Mm. And it's still really challenging, but it was kind of the aha of, Oh, okay. Okay. Well, Um, if I ever, if I ever, uh, decide to make one of those i know to come to you or dylan yeah uh, dylan will probably explain it better but it's one of those things i can show you but i don't know how i would tell you okay so one of the chances we're face to face actually go to dylan he's a much better teacher than i am (laughs) gotcha (laughs) i mean i'll try and then once i confuse you go ask dylan (laughs) uh so william jinx asks um I'm sorry, before we go there, I got to ask, are you going to do the Chris as a push dagger or as a a traditional style? I think it would probably be a traditional shot style, uh, straight or handle parallel to the, to the blade. I'm, I've, I've never been a, I mean, I, I understand push daggers and stuff are, uh, useful and stuff. It's just not, not anything that I'm really interested in making. Uh, I tend to agree, but I was just curious. Yeah. That's good question. Uh, so William Jinx, uh, on Instagram, Jinx underscore Bladeworks, he asks, what are some of your favorite aspects of bushcraft knives? Uh, he said he's already designed a couple and he's about to build one in a week or two. So maybe, maybe he'll already have one started by the time this comes out. But, uh, since you're, you're a little bit more into the bushcraft scene than I am, what are some, what are some of your favorite aspects of bushcraft knives? Yeah. This is a little bit of a loaded question because we fall back on the the Gordian knot of what is a bushcraft knife? It's for crafting bush. Yes. <laughs> that would be a razor, wouldn't it? <laughs> uh, I've, always lo- I've always loved that term. <laughs> um, so for what a lot of people consider bushcraft knives, I have found that more width is measure- measured edge to spine. Okay. Um, because people are tend to be doing really deep cuts. Um, but I struggle with a balance between when I think of an outdoors knife, like when I'm hunting, I always like a fairly narrow blade. Um, and that's because dressing game and carving task and that sort of thing. I like the, the tight turn radius that you can get. If you're measuring the the width from the spine to the the edge, mm. when the blade's narrower, it's more it's more nimble for me. Yeah, 
But what a lot of people expect from a bushcraft blade is a a really deep belly um, because they think of it as something that's used for for really deep cuts, for batoning and that sort of thing. So I would say the most distinctive characteristic for a bushcraft knife is usually a deep belly. Um, I am very anti-chole. I know I just peed all over the third rail. Send your hate mail to Kyle. Um, I don't like them. Uh, it's not a handle. It's not blade. It, I don't like a chole, but that is usually another distinctive characteristic on a bushcraft knife. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I, I guess it's lanyard tube is is another distinctive characteristic. Yeah. Well, I I always like having a lanyard on my bushcraft knives because gives you another another thing to kind of keep it from from losing it uh one of the people that i know they they were dressing out a bunch of elk and uh they somehow set the set their knife down and then they had to search through like 300 pounds of elk carcass to to find the knife so yeah and it's uh i like it uh i like to put a lanyard around my wrist wrist when i'm skinning okay because I can kind of, I, I don't just drop the knife, but I'll let go of it and can put like one hand on the carcass, one hand on the skin and work the skin away. And then it's easy to just reach down and grab that blade that's hanging from my wrist and work again. Although a lot of bushcraft guys like for retention, which is a very legitimate reason. They like a really deep sheath uh, rather than a mechanical fastener. They just want a really deep sheath mm-hmm. and having that, um, having a little short lanyard on it, it's easy with kind of your pinky finger against the side of your hand to grip, grip that lanyard and start to pull it free from the sheath. And it helps to get it, get the knife out of a really deep sheath. Yeah. Um, and then I, I'll also pee on the third rail of blade thicknesses. A lot of people like, you know, three sixteenths, you know, they, blades on their bushcrafting knives. I, I'm more of a, a one eighth. Um, I mean, mores are what? Three thirty seconds, one sixteenth of an inch. Yeah. Then. Um, yeah. So typically you'll see a pretty wide blade on a bushcraft knife. For me, that's, that's extra weight. I mean, yeah, you could hammer it into a tree and stand on it, but the total number of times I've ever needed to handle my, hammer my knife into a tree and stand on it. It's still zero. Yeah. I don't even baton with any of the knives that I, I use unless I'm like kind of testing it out for something that I'm making. Uh, I just, I have a hatchet. That's that's why I, what I use a hatchet for. Uh, it's vastly superior to uh, using my knife for that. So uh, yeah. if I were in a survival scenario where I didn't have my, my hatchet, I, I would baton, but um i know a lot of a lot of people are are pretty obsessed with that uh one of the other things that i know that a lot of people look for in a in a bushcraft knives is its uh, ability to make uh feather sticks so like do some yeah. really thin uh carving to strike a uh ferro rod or a piece of flint yeah. so i would recommend if you re- if you're really interested in bushcraft um Go back, start looking at the trade knives from the, the late 1700s, early 1800s. 
this would be the period of of Eastern and Western, uh, late Eastern expansion, early Western expansion in the Americas. Partially because those are guys that were walking the same kind of woods we're walking in. And they were living and dying by those blades. Mm -hmm. Uh, Look at the blade designs that those guys were carrying. Um, And as a side note, you will see, you'll see five and seven inch hunting knives in museums. And you'll see chopping tools, usually a, a hatchet or some form of a tomahawk. What you won't see unless you go over to the firearms area is patch knives. But remember, those guys were carrying a patch knife, which would be a a two to three inch bladed knife or clasp knife. Then the hunting knife they were carrying was the the five or seven inch knife. And then they'd carry a chopping tool. Um, so, So when you're thinking about your bushcrafting, Give some thought to what size blade do you actually use the most, and and kind of what are some of the the cuts that you're you're planning on making, but the, if it's a saber grind or if it's a scandy grind or a lot of those those different grind styles make a huge difference in its ability to do uh, different notching, uh, different cuts that you need to to do for making different things. Yeah, and the. Uh the thickness of your blade will greatly affect the efficiency of the grind you're using. Mm. Um, go back to the math. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Greeks did some fascinating research on the efficiency of angles. Go back and look at, at what angles are efficient. And remember that if it's efficient on a one sixteenth inch Mora, it may not be efficient on a quarter inch blade. Yeah. I don't have any more to add on that. You got anything? Uh, I, I think I have pretty much offended every camp in the bushcraft community right now. So I feel like my work is done. Excellent. <laughs> you can, you can, for all of Dan's comments, you can get in touch with him at Dogwood Custom Knives. <laughs> wow, you beat me to it. I was about to say, remember, all hate mail goes to Kyle Daly. Yet. <laughs> So, uh, Holy Kuro, I think is how you say that. Uh, so if you're on the, the Blade Spectrum Discord server, apparently it changed to the Ant Spectrum Discord server. There's a lot of younger younger makers on that. Uh, so they they started getting obsessed with this guy that does ants, I guess. So uh, Holly Kuro changed his name to Expert Ant. But uh, he asks, uh, he, he kind of gets asked this question a bunch. Why would you spend a couple hundred dollars on a handmade knife when you could buy a production blade much cheaper? Um, I know that, uh, when I get asked that question, um, I usually say you are probably not the person that I am selling to. Um, so, uh, it's not, it's not that it, it's not that it does it any substantially better than what you can do, get something production made. Uh, just, you can customize it. You can have, um, many different things on there that, uh, a production blade just can't have uh, on almost all my knives. I do. I do file work. Um, good luck finding a production blade with file work on it. They just don't exist. So uh, different touches like that, that uh, just add uh, really unique touches and the handmade feel of the knife. Um, that's uh, that's what I usually tell, tell people. You got anything to add to that, Dan? Um, over the years, I've had a couple of responses to this. The easiest one is, why would you buy a Ferrari? Yep. It, 
it's it's all the same logic. Um, I have been involved in a couple of discussions. We used to tackle this a lot with E2E about why do you need a custom-made knife? You don't. Nobody needs a custom-made knife. You buy a custom-made knife because you want one. Mm. You might want the better efficiency. You might want the better balance, the better fit and finish. Uh, you might want the better blade geometry. You know, if you're somebody like a chef that runs a knife 10 hours a day, six days a week, the difference of 15% in the blade efficiency really makes a difference. It might be that you just want a dead sexy wall hanger. You might want some man jewelry to put on your hip. All of those are legitimate reasons to have a, a, a custom-made knife. But um, Gorin that uh, works with Joe, uh, he's the local contact for uh, Bushcraft Global. He always says it's the Indian, not the arrow. And it's true. Um, I've worked with chefs that can use a $3 Vitronox. I have seen bushcrafters that can do phenomenal things with a $1.50 old hickory. Mm. Um, it is about because you want it. Maybe your skills have evolved to the point that you really appreciate the efficiency. Mm. Uh, I guess I'm being redundant at this point. Um, yeah. One of the things I was going to add is uh, a lot of times people buy uh, custom knives is because they have such a good relationship with the maker. Uh, I know a lot of custom or a lot of the knives that I've sold to coworkers. I said, yeah, that's never happened to me. <laughs> I know a lot of the the knives that I've sold to coworkers and stuff. They just wanted something that they couldn't buy on the shelf. And uh, they knew that uh, they wanted to help support me a little bit in my, my hobby venture. Now, one of the single greatest compliments I've I've ever had was I I made a chef I made a knife for a chef who was he's an executive chef for a significant restaurant chain he he really knows his stuff and when I gave him the knife he said this blade has a soul he says I work with this I make my living by this the effort the time the energy that is you you've put into the details of this knife, he said, it's got a soul. It's a, a living work of art. Yep. Um, and that's important to some, some people. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I feel like, uh, you could, it, they just feel different. You can feel the, the effort that somebody's taken to hand sand the, the blade or, uh, the handle and really grip it and make it fit your hand well, uh, versus some of the production blades that are just, uh, like CNC cut out. Um, I, there are there are production or uh, custom uh, folding knives that are all done on CNC too. That uh, they take a ton of effort and making sure all those tolerances and everything are fit. Uh, I still feel like you can you can feel something that's more expertly kind of handcrafted um, or hand fit um, versus some of the stuff that just comes straight off a of production line. Look, here's the deal. You're at a show, you're doing your sales pitch, and somebody looks at you and says, why would I spend all of this money on a, a handmade knife when I could buy a production blade? You just kick them in the jimmy. When they're laying on the ground, you take their girlfriend out for dinner and show her a good time. <laughs> all righty. <laughs> uh, on to the next one. Um, uh, I have no idea how to say this. S S Z Y M O C. 
Uh, he goes by. I don't know why you keep asking the dyslexic kid how to pronounce this yeah. stuff. Lego Ant is uh, the AKA from the the Blade Spectrum right now. Uh, he asks, "What is the weirdest commission or order you have gotten for a knife?" Uh, you want to go first, or should I show you mine? Uh, I haven't really ever gotten ad ask anything too terribly weird. Um, the uh, the one that I can think of, and I'm I'm pretty sure it was the Woodsman Pilot uh, asked Todd Hunt for a corn knife. Um, I don't know if you've ever ever heard of one of those, but Todd made one of those quite a few years back. That was that was one of the weirdest ones I've ever heard. Uh, if you know what corns are on your feet. Uh, this was a knife to remove those. So, um, yeah, <laughs> that's the that's the weirdest one I've ever heard. I haven't really gotten asked anything too too weird. Uh, I've gotten asked to uh, make a bunch of other makers' designs because they couldn't afford the the actual maker. That's a hard no. If anybody yeah. wants to wants to ask, um, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, you don't. We don't make other people's patterns. Yeah. Um. I have, uh, I've had a couple, usually it was a handle combination that I thought, my God, what are you thinking? And this shows how lacking I am in aesthetics because in both cases, once I put the handle together, I'm like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. Hmm. Um, now I have been asked, um, a guy that ran a, a commercial sheep farm, uh, did have me make a couple of castration knives for him, and hmm. that was a uh, that was a pretty serious moral dilemma for me. It, it it took me like three racks of lamb before I realized that that was that was really what I needed to do. <laughs> so what what is the defining characteristic of a castration sheep knife? Um, I think there are I think there are several. Kind of like a petty knife or a chef's knife. I think there are several variations. Uh, what he wanted was about a two-inch blade with a uh, sheep's foot tip, um, about a three-and-a-half-inch handle, uh, really thin. It was one-sixteenth. Um, S35VN, we took it up to about 61 Rockwell. Uh, so it was a really hard, really fine edge. Okay. Um, and it hmm. was – I mean, they um, – they it was used to remove the testicles of, of young sheep. Awesome. All right. Well, that that's pretty weird. Um all right. Cowboy Crab on the Blade Spectrum Discord server asks, if you could have any knife from any maker, who would it be? That's kind of a loaded question. Um part of me would like a a Bob Loveless, uh, just because in a lot of ways, I see him as the the grandfather of stock removal. Mm. Um, not saying he was the first one to do it, but you know, reading his book, um, the How to Make a Knife, when he talks about he was talking to uh, his steel supplier and they were out of round bar and they offered him flat bar. And he's like, "Wait, I don't have to pound it flat first? Something in that story really resonated with me. Yeah. Um, and then a couple of the, the other people that I feel a connection to, I've already been fortunate enough to, to get a knife from them. Gotcha. Yeah. I think, uh, a loveless knife, uh, specifically, I, I've always loved that, that drop point hunter pattern. Yep. 
that's uh, kind of one of his or one of the ones that I think is kind of uh, most most uh, that's the one I think defines kind of some of his style the most. I know a lot of people like the the big bear, I believe. Um, uh, I'm with you. The drop point hunter is the is when I think of Bob Loveless, that's the knife I think of. Yeah, me too. Uh, and reading the the logos of the Living Legend uh, book, um, that was uh, a guy's collection of all of Bob Loveless's knives. Um, just unbelievable knives. All all the pictures were taken on a quarter inch grid uh, paper, so you can kind of get an idea for the the actual proportions of the knife and stuff. Uh, just uh, all the stuff he's done for the the industry and everything. Uh, that's a uh, that's a uh, one of the makers that I'd love to to have. Um, the other one, if money was no option, uh, Michael Walker. I've always super loved his um, art knives. Uh, the zipper blade. Uh, the engineer and me just uh, yeah starts doing a happy dance. Uh, that's just amazing. Yeah, I, for a kitchen knife, I'd probably want a Murray Carter. Okay. He's doing a uh, 24 knives in 24 hours. Do you see that? I, oh, hell yes. I've been watching that. <laughs> I mean, um, really, you, you don't mention. <laughs> um, what a great challenge. That's the, the maker in me just loves the the 24 and 24. And then, yeah, I uh, I might fanboy Murray, Murray Carter a little bit. Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, if we're going kitchen knives, uh, I've always loved uh, Bob Kramer's uh, stuff ever since. He, his was one of the, the first videos that I saw um, kind of doing doing the kitchen knife stuff way, way, way back when. Uh, Anthony Bourdain did a, did a couple shows where uh, they made like a... Yeah, they made one from the meteorite. Yeah. Wasn't it like a million layers or something like that? It was like ridiculous. I don't know if it was that, but it didn't it sell for like like two hundred fifty thousand dollars or something at auction not too long ago. Yeah, at Bourdain's uh, benefit yeah. thing. Yeah, it went for a crazy amount of money that all went to the the CIA uh, Culinary Institute of America. Yeah, for a scholarship. Yeah, that make a make a big help in a lot of people's lives there. Yeah. All right. Uh, Paxton of Fifty Fifty Forge asks, "What is your most and least favorite part of our process?" My least favorite part is crushing my finger off with a press. You do that often? <laughs> no, no. But the smart <laughs> I had to bust Paxton's balls one more time. <laughs> uh, we love you, Paxton. Um, uh, least favorite is probably hand sanding the blades. And most favorite is is that transition from rush, rough shaping a handle to polishing, uh, especially with wood. Um, you know, being a furniture guy, I really love to watch watch as the wood comes alive, as the as the grain starts to pop, as you start to see the depth. Is there a little chatoyance in there? Is it going to come out? You know, I kind of geek out on that. Those those final watching it come alive. Yeah, I really that's one of my favorite parts too. Uh, I think my one of my most favorite parts is uh the actual post uh glue up of the handle when everything goes to plan, everything fits together and the handle gets completely glued on. That's probably my my favorite cuz I 
the the knife is actually more of a knife. It still has the handle shaping to go, but uh, for whatever reason, I I feel a lot more confident in my ability to not screw up a handle than to uh, not screw up grinding a blade. So uh, I'm right there with you. I love when when that all uh, fits together. I don't like uh, hand sanding the the blades is obviously one of the the ones that I don't really like that much. But uh, my other least favorite part is uh, grinding the profiles and drilling all the holes in the handle or in the tang. Uh, every time you the holes, yeah. Well, it, it's not you not really the number of the holes that do that. Yeah, every time I'm doing it, I'm like, why the heck am I not water jetting this and. Uh, yeah. Then I look at my bank account and I know why I do do it the way I do it. So, because uh, you water jet one at a time, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, so that that was uh, all the knife making questions that we got. Uh, we have a couple rapid fire. Uh, Hang on, I want to add one more to the the least favorite part. Okay, I'm marking the blade. That's my second least favorite. Okay, at the you, because, the electro etch you're talking about. Yeah, electro etch, and there's nothing. It's nothing about the process, but I have this fully finished, perfect blade. All I've got to do is this last part and just don't screw up this last part and you're good. Mm. Um, so I'm I'm out there. I'm checking the stencil, making sure it's got no cracks and you know, make sure it doesn't slide because I've had you know, my electrode was a little too wet. Some water ran and then I got a nasty burnt mark on the blade. Or there was a crack in the in the stencil that I didn't notice, and now I've got this this little flying hairline, and I, I freak out a little bit about the blade's perfect. It really doesn't need a mark. I mean, the mark doesn't make it cut any better. Why am I why am I adding this one step that I could mess up my knife that I don't even really need? Yeah, you want people to know what that you made it. That's that's one of the reasons I mark mine. Yeah, I, and I know that's why I'm supposed to. I just have this. I guess we're looking a little deeply into my psyche. Mm-hmm. You know, th- this one extra step that don't screw it up that I just, I, I will sometimes have 15 knives sitting on the bench ready to be marked. That's the only thing left to do. And it, it'll take me days before I, I finally just get around to marking them all. Yeah. So one of, one of my solutions to that is uh, I, I linked up with a guy that I work with and he bought a $50,000 uh, fiber laser. Ooh. So I, I now go over to his place, hand him a little bit of money. He types in whatever I tell him to type. He hit, I uh, put the blade down. Uh, it shines uh, the laser and it'll actually show uh, my KH daily and my serial number uh, right there on the blade. You line it up. And you close the door and tell them to hit the button and, and then it's done. So you uh, work with some of the coolest people. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he, d- he bought one to, it actually cuts metal and stuff. So, uh, he's, he does a lot of firearm stuff. Uh, so why it, you water jetting? um, because, uh, getting the laser engraving is a lot cheaper than water jetting. Yeah. No. Oh, um, when you said cutting metal, I thought you meant like he could cut eight inch, eighth inch stock. Oh, he can. I got off for a second. He can cut uh, metal uh, with his laser, but it's limited to uh, I think it's ten inch by ten inch square. Um, uh, so, um, yeah, that doesn't leave much room for a handle, does it? <laughs> not if you're not for doing some of the kitchen knives, but yeah, yeah. So, yeah, 
find find yourself somebody that has a uh, expensive laser and uh, become good friends with them. I'm gonna work on that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not real good at the friends thing. Could I maybe just give them money? Uh, by the way, let me do a quick uh, Google here. So if you oh, uh, if you want to uh, get in touch with him, it's uh, uh, six three zero is his Instagram. It's S I X and then the number three and then Z E R O. Uh, Renee Grisham, uh, great mm-hmm. guy. Then uh, Justin's another guy that works with them there. Uh, they do do really cool firearm stuff. So you should follow them on Instagram and yeah, see see some of the cool stuff they're uh, custom stuff they're doing on those guns. Firearms for firearms. Yeah, guns have to be serviced by three or more people. What? <sighs> All right. So the army, the bitchiness army mess in me. So a firearm. Or a weapon, okay. a person can use. A gun has to be serviced by two or more people. Oh, so like somebody helping to feed and someone shooting type thing. Yep. Okay. Alrighty. Yes. Or a loader and a gun commander, or like, yeah. It, I'm sorry, pet peeve of mine. Sorry. It the firearms that they make are very cool, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, to some personal life stuff. Uh, John Walker, if you don't follow him on Instagram, it's uh, Etowa Valley Knives, uh, E-T-O-W-A. Uh, he's, he asks, how can I be as cool as you guys? That note is Etowa Valley. It's, uh, I think it's Etowah. Cherokee. Okay. The, the key to being as cool as I am is lowering the standards. <laughs> I mean, you got to get that bar really low. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Uh, but his, so then, uh, then he gave me his actual question, uh, that he's, uh, uh, thinking about making some, uh, hidden tang knives and would enjoy some info on making the process as smooth as possible. So I don't, ha- I've never made a hidden tang knife. So I pointed him to the direction of watching a bunch of Nick Wheeler's, uh, videos for his like hidden tang fighter and stuff. So I've done a couple um, if you want to do it the old school, traditional way, there's a bunch of videos out there. Um, it, it, it's got some challenges. I've done a few and I cheat and I use some of my old woodworking techniques and I will do a laminated handle and I'll split, uh, split the handle material, make it perfectly flat and then use a router and route out the channel on the two pieces of material, you know, half the thickness of the tang on either side. Okay. Um, pin it and glue it back up so everything stays aligned. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing you can do, again, that's a cheat, uh, again, a laminate. If you're using a really standard size thickness, like, say, one-eighth inch for your blade stock, then you can take two pieces of handle material just like you would for a full-tang knife, make them perfectly flat. And then your liner material, if it's a one-eighth inch blade, use one-eighth one eighth inch stock and cut out the, uh, the negative space for your tang in that liner material. And then you do it as a three-piece glue-up. Uh, that, I, even with hidden tangs, unless you're doing some art stuff, I like to pin one. Um, if you're doing a laminate like that, it's a good idea to pin them so that you have uh, a mechanical fastener as well as an adhesive fastener for all those layers. 
but those are two cheats that I've used in the past that worked really well for me and was just, it was faster and cleaner than drilling some holes and getting in there with a file and trying to file it out. Yeah. Uh, and it lo- allowed me to be more precise. Yeah, one of the things I've seen for the, the wah style handles, uh, they actually drill a hole and then take a piece of dowel rod. That's the, the diameter of the hole split it. And then, uh, put that inside the hole with the, the tang in there. And then all you have to do is fit up a, like a metal front plate uh, that fits up nice to cover over that whole, the whole area. So you could try doing that too. Uh, ben Seacrest of uh, Fiery Ice Forge asks, what's your favorite game to play? Be it video, board, messing with people kind of game. Oh, I'm old, so I really suck at video games. I mean, Anything after 8-bit is is new to me. I'm also a little bit of a geek. I do some role-playing. Back in the day, I did the D&D and the riffs and that kind of stuff. Um, recently, we've got a campaign based on the Dresden, uh, Dresden Files book series. If you haven't read the book series, it's phenomenal. Hmm. Um, it is by Jim Butcher. And then I actually play, uh, it used to be Warhammer 40K, and then they changed the rules, and I don't like the new rules, so I play what's called Warhammer 30K. And Jack, my oldest, recently started playing as well, so we do uh, we do tabletop games of uh, Warhammer 30K, and uh, I, I geek out a little bit with some role-playing. Nice. I still love a bunch of my uh, regular Nintendo games. Uh, those were always super fun. I always loved uh, Duck Hunt and stuff like that. Although yeah. uh, with the new LCD screens, uh, Duck Hunt is pretty much ruined because uh, the gun doesn't work anymore. Uh, yeah. Um, but uh, as far as board games and other things, uh, Yahtzee's been one of one of my favorite games to always play. It's nice and easy. One of my all-time favorite card games is Euchre. Uh, it's kind of a Southern Indiana, Midwestern type game. Uh, use some complicated rules and uh, you, you have to have four people to play. So trying to find four people that actually want to play sometimes is difficult. So uh, those are some of my favorite games. Uh, the, the, the official Eastland card game is, uh, is Uno. Although now the, the car, boys are getting a little older. We also play a five and seven card stud and draw poker. Okay. Cool. Um, Jack tries to get that that um, Texas hold him in, and yeah, I'm, I'm just old school. I'm a, I'm a five card, seven card kind of man. Okay. And then I told Ben that he needed to up his game on that uh, that question and needed to ask us something more controversial. So he came up with, uh, "What is your favorite candy bar?" Uh, does it have to be in, in traditional full bar form, or can it be like Reese's peanut butter cups? Uh, that probably. I mean, they make one of those in like a, like a king size, like they have like a two pound, two or three pound peanut butter cup. Ooh, good thing I didn't know about that because <laughs> I love me some Reese's. Uh, I love me some Butterfinger. And then when I want to go old school, it's all about the whatchamacallit. Really? Nice. Yeah. Uh, I like a lot of the uh, caramel stuff. So Kit Kats are one of my favorites. Twix. Uh, those are my two kind of two favorites. My, uh, are you a left Twix or a right Twix guy? I, I can't tell a difference. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
and then uh like a newer candy bar uh i guess it's not extremely new now because it came out like when i was in high school uh but a hundred grand that's uh one of my other ones oh yeah got a got a lot of good caramel and then uh if i'm at the movie theater got all right i love some milk duds uh oh yeah so it's not if you don't like milk we can't be friends not really a candy bar uh just caramel covered in chocolate but adding that as a bonus yeah uh so k hole five four six one of the blade spectrum discord server asks uh what are some of our hobbies that we have besides knife making what do you got um i love to cook uh, I used to be a, a furniture maker before as a knife maker. So I still like to, to do a little woodworking. Um, and I don't know if it counts as a hobby, but I love the outdoors, hunting, fishing, hiking, boating. I guess those all count as hobbies. Yeah, I think so. All right. I, that's what I'm going to go with. Yeah. I like, I like hi- hiking. I used to love fishing, uh, except I haven't really done any of it since I graduated high school. Kind of once I got into college and then started working, I haven't really made very much time at all for it. Uh, like liked fishing a lot, like to to hang out with boys. Uh, that our twins are getting to be pretty fun to play cars with and stuff right now. So taking them on on adventures and uh, seeing them get super excited is a lot of fun. Uh, one of the great days of my life was when. Uh... I I got to dig out my old matchbox cars. The boys had finally got to that age and being able to to dump out of an entire bin of old school matchbox cars and then uh, get down on the floor, maybe a few Legos and, and playing cars with them was. Yeah. uh, Yesterday I actually got out the, the Duplo blocks, which is the, the bigger version of Legos. And Yeah. yeah, they were, they was super fun to have them come up with all sorts of stuff they wanted to build. When they get they're pretty close, I think, maybe a little bit older, and you get to break out the Lincoln Logs. Mm. Um, and it was just cool for me because it was new to the boys, so they thought this was this new great thing. And I'm just smiling on the inside like my dad had to because God knows how old Lincoln Logs are, but every generation thinks it's this new great thing. Yeah. Yeah, we, I've got a bunch of... Uh two by fours that my dad he said he thinks he had them as a kid he's not sure if his dad made them or his grandfather made them but we've got a bunch of blocks that the boys are loving building things with they're just you know like six 12 18 inch uh two by fours cut up and kind of sanded a little bit and have a lot of fun building stuff out of that with them that's a good size because you can build you don't need too much dexterity but you can build some substantial stuff Mm mm-hmm or you just uh, lay them all on the ground back to back to back and then use it as a racetrack, which is what one of our boys uh, loves doing. <laughs> and he was knocking over, uh, knocking them over the other day, kind of like dominoes. And he, uh, he loved that quite a bit, too. So he'll be the civil engineer. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's going to do something a little more physical. So he's uh, <laughs> he's uh, very active. So. I think he might be uh, a little more working with his hands type stuff. Yeah, the, the great, great quote that Beth found to to help understand her frame of mind for the boys was that uh, little boys are like tiger cubs. They say, I love you by biting and scratching. <laughs> yeah, I can get that. Uh, 
So Tex Blades of the Blade Spectrum Discord server asks, when do all the chicks start falling heads over heels for knife makers? So, dude, my advice is find the chick before you start making knives. <laughs> that's what I did. <laughs> yeah, that's what I did. <laughs> Uh, she always knew that I really liked knives, but I hadn't started making knives until uh, a couple years after uh, we got married. Yeah, until she really falls in love. She's got to really fall in love with you before she's going to put up with you making knives. That's If you don't believe me, go to Blade Show and see how many women are there. Yeah. So then he had a more serious question. Uh, people are things that inspire you most in knife making. Um. It's not so much a people or a thing. I mean, I have I have been fortunate to be exposed to some really phenomenal knife makers and teachers that, that have influenced me. But what I love about knife making is the functional art that that part of its beauty is how well it functions, but it that it's a tool first, that you're making something that has to work. It has to work effectively. And then the artism follows behind that. And the the concept of working art is is what I really love about knife making. Yeah. There's a there's a girl on Instagram, Jay Bauer Engraving. Uh she makes uh or she she got in her husband makes clocks and she got into doing engraving and uh she she calls it unnecessary embellishment and uh i love seeing a whole bunch of like her block planes and rulers and uh dividers and all sorts of stuff she's engraved with all sorts of scrolls and different things it's always always awesome to see whatever she's working on and that kind of stuff may not make it any more square or cut any more clean but it gives it some beauty it gives it some joy to work with and you know, back to that when you put part of yourself into what you're doing, it has a little bit of a soul. Mm. And when you add some of that embellishment, especially when you're being honest about this isn't necessary, I'm, I'm adding to it. I acknowledge that it's not a requirement, but this gives it it gives it a little bit of a soul. Mm-hmm. David McConnell asks, uh, he's a Northwoods Forge on Instagram. How can I get on the podcast with you guys? Uh, so when we get to 2000 followers on Instagram, we're doing, uh, going to do a post and put your name in and we will randomly pick one of those people to be on the podcast. So, uh, that's one of them. If you want to improve your odds, um, send nude photos to Kyle at KH daily knives. Uh, do not do that. (laughs) (laughs) That'll get you. That'll get you to the bottom of the list. Uh, but yeah, uh, so otherwise, uh, the other way you can do it is to make awesome stuff and, uh, uh, tag us up and, uh, eventually you might get on. Um, if you have some show ideas, we would love to hear them. If you've got a cool story, we'd love to hear your story. Uh, it might be one that we can share with other people. We would love to hear your show ideas. Like I said, if you've got a great story, Send us your story. I'd love to hear it. And I'd, if it's something we can share with people, we'd love to do that. Yep. Um, otherwise, help us get to 2,000 followers. Yeah. And then we might do it uh, every so often after that, too. So, 
yeah. think it's a really cool way to kind of have everybody when we're trying to create a community, uh, kind of like Joshua Schwanigan was saying. His That's knife- how you the name. That <laughs> uh, was talking about on Knife and Gear Society. We're trying to to have a community here and try to help support everybody and provide you guys some good content and uh, everything. So a random question, and I have absolutely no idea uh, what to answer this one with, but uh, Rexford 22, AKA midget ant on the uh, blade spectrum discord server asks, why are the birds fake and where is all the serotonin? Okay. The serotonin I'm not sure about, but the birds are fake. Because bird watching works both ways. And I'm not saying that this whole quarantine is a hoax so that the government can change the batteries and all the birds, but I'm not not saying that. <laughs> Alrighty. Um yeah. Um you wanna keep going or you wanna to wrap this up a little bit? You know, um, you know, we put all of my rants and personal pet peeves down here at the bottom. If you're up for a few few more minutes, um, you know, let's let's cut loose. Let's let's get honest here. All righty. I just don't want it to get too terribly long, so it takes forever to edit. So, uh, Kyle has to do that. It's no big deal. <laughs> All righty. What what what's your last what's your last question here, Dan? All right, we can pick and choose a couple of these. Um, a lot of this is either stuff that I struggled with, and maybe we'll do another show. Uh, as I worked through or stuff other young makers have asked. All right. So pros and cons. I, I do not take uh, deposits. Some people do. A lot of people want some front money either to keep people from walking away or to buy materials. So the pro is you get somebody locked in. You, you've got some front money. So even if they walk away, you're not you're not completely out. My argument on that is if your business model will hold it, unless you agree to make some sort of hideous knife, you can still sell it. If they bail on you, if they back out, you can still sell the knife. Some of the cons are mentally, and this is true of of everybody. It doesn't matter the industry. Once, Once someone has given you money, they get a sense of entitlement. It's a subconscious thing. I do it. Everybody I know does it. So once you've accepted even just a token payment for somebody, mentally, it changes the dynamic between the two of you um, to them owning you. And that can make future conversations more difficult. Um, the, The other problem is God forbid if something goes wrong, if you get hurt, if you didn't estimate the time to do other projects ahead of time, if you did not take any money from that person, you cannot do something irrevocable. You can't get tempted to to spend their deposit to buy materials for somebody else's knife. Mm-hmm. If you blow your deadline, then they're not out any money. They're out time, they're out excitement, but they're not out any money. So I have found that my relationships with my customers go much more smoothly if I'm able to not take a deposit. 
Now, I will ask for payment in full before I ship the knife. Um, But I find that your relationships with your customers will go a lot more smoothly if you can set up your business model where you don't take deposits. Yeah. 10 years of knife making, I think I've had three people back out. And two of those were just, it was unforeseen circumstances. There was an illness, something like that in the family. Um, And in all three of those cases, it was my work. It was, it was attractive. It was within the aesthetic that I usually work in. And it was very easy to sell those knives. Yeah. I I don't usually, or I haven't hardly ever taken a deposit uh, only in a couple of uh, extreme um, circumstances partially the the people paid uh paid for the knife because they said that they would be tempted to spend their own money on other stuff and they really wanted to get the knife so uh, <laughs> they wanted me to have yeah. it i just i just personally really like at the the end um getting that payment uh at the end uh gives me a little more motivation to to push through and get it done um when uh it just I don't know what it is mentally, just it's uh, got a different uh, different part of my mental capacity. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's common with a, a lot of makers. Yeah, and I don't take a, take a deposit because a lot of that stuff we talked about, too, if something were to happen to me and I won't, can't make knives anymore or something, I don't want to have that... Uh, hanging over other people's head. So, yeah. And, uh, I don't usually get asked for anything that's too terribly crazy. That's if I, if I were going to make a damn steel knife or something that, uh, you got like $300 in just, uh, steel before I do anything to it. Uh, that's a, a little more argument for a deposit. Um, uh, but if somebody wants something really exotic, um, yeah, I'll take a deposit. Or if they want something that is so far out of my aesthetic that I'm not comfortable that I'll be able to sell it easily, I might ask for a deposit. Hmm. Yep. Um, but those are some so those are some some words of advice from your dear old Uncle Dan. They're worth every penny you paid for them. <laughs> take them, yeah. leave them, buy them, sell them, trade them. But they're there for you. Yeah. The other the other thing that uh, uh, kind of piggyback on that last comment. Uh, if it's that far out of what you normally do that you feel like you need to take a, a deposit on it, um, it kind of we've talked about it some before. If it doesn't, if it if you're not excited about doing the doing the knife, uh, you can say no. Um, when you get, uh, I had a lot of problems with that at the beginning of my my knife making stuff that I was so excited somebody wanted to uh, buy something that I was making. That uh, I said yes to a couple things that I wasn't truly excited about uh, making, and I didn't enjoy making the knife uh, that I made. Uh, turned out fine, uh, just wasn't as fun as it could have been. Yeah, I'm going to touch on something. We're, we're going to run this a little bit longer, but this is one that some advice that I give to new makers, if. When you're talking to the customer, if something doesn't feel right, don't be afraid to pass on the work. If if the two of you are not a good fit for each other, feel free to pass on the work. Um, there were times, especially when I started, that you know, a rent payment was coming. 
things were tight. I needed the work and, and something didn't feel right. The, the customer and I weren't clicking well together and I took the work. Um, I have never heard somebody say that they regretted passing on a job. I've heard a lot of people talk about that. I never should have taken this job. Mm-hmm. Some of it, like you talk about, if, if it's not a knife that you're not passionate about making, then it's not going to be your best work. You're not going to enjoy doing it. There's a chance that not being your best work, it's not going to be a good representation of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's, I've had some customers ask me to make some styles that that's, that's just not the style I make or the way they want to use it doesn't fit with the way that I design my knives. And it was a hard lesson to learn, but step away from those, recommend them to somebody else that makes more of what they're looking for. Hmm. But, but in the end it is going to be, you're not going to risk your reputation. You're going to continue to love what you do. If you don't get into knife making, I'm going to tell you all right now, right up front, you do not get into knife making to make money. Um, you, you just don't because you won't. You got to make knives because you love making knives. Now, it may come to support itself. You may even be able to make a little money at it, but that is not why you get into knife making. Yeah. The amount of time I've spent uh, researching and thinking, I, um, I'm severely in the hole. <laughs> I I do it because I love it. I do it because I'm genuinely interested in a lot of this stuff too. And, um, and then you, uh, then you meet a lot of really cool people like Dan and me. (laughs) Um, And do it because it's fun. I mean, the research I put into some of the patterns I do, it would be painful research if I didn't enjoy looking into it. Mm -hmm. And the amount of research that I've done just to find out that I was wrong about something. I mean, that's hundreds of hours of research that went into not getting paid. So wait a minute. You, you just say you were wrong. Uh, I mean, I was right in a different direction. (laughs) Uh, I thought I was wrong once, but I was mistaken. You know, one of my favorite quotes, it was a, uh, a Marine general during uh, the Korean war. And I believe it was, I think it might've been the chosen uh, reservoir battle, but the Marines were having to, to make a fighting withdrawal. And someone had called this Marine Corps general out and said, you know, I didn't think, I thought Marines never retreated. He said, we're not retreating. We're attacking to the rear. (laughs) Nice. That's a good quote. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I wasn't wrong. I was just proven in a different direction. Mm -hmm. Nice. So, uh, yeah, uh, hopefully you guys all got a lot of good information from all that and, uh, enjoyed the, the question and answer. Well, if you guys like it, uh, make sure to, to let us know, uh, leave us a review or, uh, a comment on Instagram or Facebook. And, um, you can find the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, tuned in radio, iHeartRadio, Uh, and then I also submitted it. I didn't know, uh, Pandora does podcasts. Uh, so oh. you should be able to listen to on your Alexa device, uh, hopefully soon. Uh, it's pending its approval. Don't really under, don't think it would not get approved, but, uh, you can always uh, check us out at knifeperspective.com Uh, that has all the show notes. Uh, usually we have, um, all the information and stuff 
and links to different things that we talk about. And uh, you can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. That's uh, where we're we're most active on. And uh, if you've got more questions, uh, if you want more details or there's a question we didn't answer, please let us know. Uh, we'll probably do these maybe every couple of months. Yeah. By 6 to 12, you know, we're knife makers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can get in touch with Dan at dogwoodcustomknives.com, Dogwood Custom Knives on Facebook and Instagram. And if you want the uh, the slow communication, Dan at dogwoodcustomknives.com for his email. Uh, me, cagedailyknives.com, Kyle Daly, uh, Cage Daily Knives on Facebook and Instagram. And uh, Kyle at uh, cagedailyknives.com or Kyle at knifeperspective.com. Uh, if you have any questions, uh, feel free to shoot us uh, a DM or stuff like that. Uh, also, if you know about any other makers that uh, deserve a shout out, let me know on the Knife Perspective page and we'll make sure to shout them out and try to get them a, a few more followers. Yeah. Uh, heads up on new materials. We're always looking for uh, especially handle materials, new blade materials, um, new processes. If you've if you've stumbled across something, feel free to let us know. Yeah. And um, if it's uh, that unique, uh, you might even be able to get on the podcast and talk about it some. Yeah. So, all righty. Uh, thank you, everyone. Hope uh, hope you had a wonderful time listening to the podcast. And uh, good night. Good night, Kyle. Well, let's take it to the edge. Because that's what's expected in this discussion. This is the night prospective. Let's get to the point. We're gonna talk about.